0: You have conversations with people who you trust, and so that element of trust has been built in the background uh, almost unconsciously when you have a conversation. Now, if you ask bad questions, then people feel manipulated. If you're asking super close-ended questions, if you're trying to push people down a certain path.
1: This is Outside Sales Talk, the best podcast for outside salespeople. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and we're here to chat with the world's top sales experts so that you can get their best sales tactics to level up your game. Welcome back to Outside Sales Talk. Today, we've got Will Barron with us, and we're going to talk about powerful sales questions that close
0: more deals. Will, welcome to the show. Steve, I'm excited to be on. I'm excited to chat uh, field sales. Uh, this is my uh, my background in medical device sales. This is my, uh, I love talking about this even more so on, on my podcast, uh, the Sales and Podcast. I, anything to do with field sales, it, be meeting people in person. I guess COVID scuppered some of this, and we we'll perhaps touch on that in a second of how we can replicate some of this, even if it is over Zoom or, or a call that we do in person. But I'm really excited to have a chat with you, mate.
1: Outstanding. Well, by way of introduction, uh, Will is the host of the wildly successful Salesman podcast and is the founder of salesman.org. He's, uh, he's been hosting the Salesman podcast and raising the perception of B2B sales, uh, of, the, of the B2B sales profession, and educating pe- salespeople for five years now. So, congrats to you, Will. It's great to have you here. Um, Exciting. Well, let's jump into it. Uh, first question, what are the benefits of asking powerful sales
2: questions? So I've been, I've been pondering over this, right? And I feel like the main benefit is that it gives you the opportunity to start a conversation. And that sounds really basic. It almost sounds ridiculous in saying that. But something that splits the sales professional, as you, as you alluded to then, something that I'm... Uh, constantly trying to improve the reputation of the, the, the quote-unquote sales professional. I'm trying to increase the, the education, the knowledge, the skill set of these individuals. And if you just, just oppose the sales professional with the pesky salesperson, used car salesperson, that stereotype that we all try and move away from, one of the big differences is a sales professional can consult. They can have a conversation with you versus the, the sales tactics, techniques, and tips from 80s, 90s, and early 2000s was how to manipulate and control a conversation with questions and, and other things as well. And when you put those two side by side, I feel like the biggest differentiator for success and to, to class yourself and reclass yourself as a sales professional is to use questions to generate a conversation as opposed to use questions to pigeonhole someone into maybe agreeing with you right now. But then five minutes later, when you go, you've asked for a refund they change their mind or they feel buyers remorse.
1: yeah that that makes a ton of sense to me um how does asking great questions impact the way that prospects perceive salespeople
0: well it's just that when you sit down and we have this conversation now we are you're asking me questions i'm probably going to inadvertently ask you some questions and it goes it creates that back and forth and that creates the perception of a conversation a conversation you have you have conversations with people who you trust and so that element of trust has been built in the background uh, almost unconsciously when you have a conversation now if you ask bad questions then people feel manipulated if you're asking super close-ended questions if you're trying to push people down a certain path i've got an analogy which i can share with you about trying to buy a car from bmw a few months ago and not i I can tell you i can tell you about a second but not being able to buy a car physically we went in to purchase on the day and we couldn't purchase we ended up buying something else instead all because the salesperson was using close-ended questions was trying to uh, trip us up as every uh at point of the conversation well, so
1: and, and use that example how, how did he how did he do that what, what what was what was his goal if you were a buyer what was
2: yeah. how did that happen so i, I I've, I've used the story on different podcasts in the past so i don't want to just in case anyone's head i don't want to reach it too much but basically my partner had a mini cooper s and she loves it but well, she already it now, but she loved it at the time and we are getting the dog so we want a slightly bigger. So we're looking at the Mini Countryman. Um, she's on a, 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 a we call called different things elsewhere in the world, but a, a monthly payment plan for, for the car. And so there's a fixed budget, right? So we're going into this BMW dealership. I, I also, I've just bought a BMW from there a few months ago, from BMW as opposed to Mini, but it's the same dealership, it's the same company, right? Mm. So I walk in the door with my partner and we've got the budget we have, uh, my partner loves the car that she's got. So we primed to buy. We've done all the research and we've been online. And this is the difference between sales now versus selling 20 years ago when you could get away with a lot of this stuff. We knew what the price was. There, there was a calculator on BMW's website that gives you the monthly cost with the different uh, trim options and, and accessories that you want for the car. So all the salesperson had to do was take us for a test drive. The car was brand new. It was going to be great. It was going to be fine. And then all he had to do was give us the paperwork. That was it. It was not
0: a complicated sale. whatsoever. So we get in there and the first thing the guy says to us is, hey, are you looking to buy today? So immediately my own partner's backs her up slightly and was like, well, maybe, you know, let's, let's have a conversation first. That's what I'm thinking in my brain. And he's asking a you know, close-ended question, yes or no. So my response is, well, maybe, depends what's going on. So then... You can feel him. I don't know whether he thought it was a game. I don't know whether he thought it was a challenge. At first, honestly, I thought that he he'd listened to the salesman podcast, and so he was he was just going to turn around after five minutes of this messing around and be like, "Hey, I, you know, I was just, just trying to um, uh, yank your chain a little bit and have a bit of a play with you by using all these old school sales tactics." That wasn't the case. So we went in, test drove the car. I'm sat in the back, just minding my own business, um, my partner's just driving it. And he goes, "That's the same question again." So. The, the test drive went right," uh, he, he said, something along the lines of, "The test drive went great, didn't it?" So again, a, a loaded question and close ended So my partner's going, "Well, yeah, you know, it wasn't. It was what I expected, but you know, we we done our research." And he asked the question again. Hey. Are you going to buy it today? My partner's now, she's not soft in, in her own right. She doesn't know anything about sales or business. She's a doctor, but she knows when someone's trying to push her in a corner. So she goes, Well, maybe, you know, we, we want to probably go to VW and then we want to look at, uh, there's a Skoda as well uh, that she wanted to look at. Not an unreasonable question, right? So then we go upstairs and we're like, right, can we just get the paperwork? Can we just see how much this is going to cost? We just want to confirm that the online calculator is similar to the, the price that you can offer us. Because maybe they can do something. I'm sure there's, there's a discount. I'm sure that they can, I don't know, throw in a, 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 some services, whatever it is. There's obviously a leeway to, to get a deal done. Mm-hmm. And... Cut the story short at this point because we were up there for an hour and it got so awkward. The chap, bless him, he was either brand new to sales or it was his last day in sales. I don't know which one it was, um, but he, he wouldn't give us the price. He would not tell us what the price was. He kept going, hey, right, I'm, my, my manager's in, the director's in, someone's in. I'm going to go and see them. I'm going to get you a deal. And then as you would stand up, you'd, you'd say again, can you, if, if I can get you a deal, will you, you buy today? And at this point, I had kind of half-tuned out, knowing that there was some shenanigans going on here. You know, it could have been that he needed to sell one more car to hit his bonus for the year. Great job, but I'm on his side. I love sales. I-, I wanted to win. And we ended up leaving Steve without even getting a price. It- I got to the point where I said to him, look, mate, this is really embarrassing. This is getting really awkward. Are we going to have to just leave now because it's lunchtime? We've been here all morning without a, a quote. And he, put, he literally put his hands in his head and went, look, I'm trying to sell you a car. And that was it. So then we, we left and we went and bought a Skoda the same day. So he missed out on his deal, his commission, all because, and i realize realised I've been rabbiting on for about five minutes here, but all because he asked poor questions that were designed in the 80s and 90s to manipulate people before they had access to the internet, before they had access to the data, before they had access to the same pricing as what the salesperson has. And that's what's changed. And that's why you need to ask good questions that are open-ended and start a conversation as opposed to try and push people down a pathway. Absolutely. I mean,
1: it's a, we're selling into a different world today than we used to be because salespeople used to have information as kind of a a chip that they could move around on the table. But today the, you know, all all the information's out there. It's, it's on websites and it's, it's available. And so, yeah, I, I think that that's, that's pointed us much towards value selling and adding value and um, and, and, uh, and having real conversations. I, I, I couldn't agree with you anymore. I guess why don't we take a step back and, and, and can you talk for a second about what the difference is between an open-ended question and a closed-ended question? I realize we're kind of bantering these words around, but, but it's worth talking about what, the, what, the, what they actually are and, and what, is the, what is the purpose of open-ended questions versus closed-ended questions?
0: Sure. So, an example of an open-ended question would be, "How are you?" So, if you are miserable, you could explain that you're miserable. If you're feeling great, you can share that you're great. A closed-ended question would be, "Do you feel great today?" And again, you can answer yes or no. But then you get into the subtleties of, of questions, and this is what I find really interesting. Of if I say to if I say to you, Steve, are you good today? Well, that's it's closed-ended, yes or no, but and it doesn't allow you to elaborate on the why. You could follow up with an additional why question, if you liked, but the conversation just stops. The ping-pong back and forth, the conversation element of questioning stops. If I ask an open-ended question of, um, how, how are you doing? You're probably not just going to say, fine. You're probably going to say, good because, or bad because of, of X, Y, Z. But where it gets interesting is then, when you use a closed-ended question, especially things like inflection really matter, as opposed to just the words that you're saying. So if I turn around to you, Steve, and say, Steve, are you having a great day? Well, it's almost rude for you to turn back to me and say, no. (laughs) At some point with enough enthusiasm or enough negativity, depending on how you want to push the the answer, you can basically push social proof onto onto people. You can leverage a whole bunch of different cognitive biases to manipulate people into saying what you want, or or, 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 I guess, push them down a funnel of, of conversation. Now, it sounds like I'm bashing closed ended questions here, but they are useful. I find that at the top of a conversation, open ended questions will allow individuals to give you a, a, a list, a, a true and a real response. So at the beginning of a sales conversation, perhaps you want to ask more open ended questions. And towards the end of it, once you know, once your hypothesis of what the value that you can provide to the potential customer is, then, and they say it themselves, you've not pushed them there, they've, you've allowed them to, to share it with you, then you can use slightly more close-ended questions to focus in on that, because you don't want to spend an hour talking about what your buyer had for lunch, because um, it's not relevant, it's not adding value to you, and it's not adding value to them, unless they're just incredibly lonely and they want someone to speak to, but you're never going to get a deal done that way. So typically, you're asking your open-ended questions at the top of the conversation, where the answer isn't yes or no. It's this, 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 and then towards the end of the sales conversation, you're going to start to narrow things down. Well, that that
1: makes sense to me. Um, yeah, I, I I always think of uh, of like a a clown talking to kids when I think of of closed-ended <laughs> questions, like. Hey, kids, are we going to have some fun today? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I always think that, but that's like the example I have in my mind of what,
0: what is this. Um, and look, that's a great example because clowns, are, whether they realize it or not, they're doing that very specifically because they want the kids to respond in kind. Again, it's, it's, it'll be rude for a kid to just cross their arms, look up and go, no, Mr. Clown or Mrs. Clown, you, you're an idiot they're going to feel social pressure to respond in it, And we can, we can talk about mirror neurons and, and different mechanical factors that force empathy in these kinds of situations as well, if you like. Um, but clowns do that again whether they know it or not i, I was think of you know crusty the clown from the symptoms he's always doing that crazy voice you just did which i, I almost i almost tried to emulate but i'm not getting i think i will explain your impression there steve but um
1: they're doing that. that was that that's a a subconscious connection with yeah. the the clown i
0: think <laughs> but they're doing it again conscious unconscious they're doing it because they want to elicit a response of yeah we're having a great time and they probably don't even really care that much about the kids they want to see they want the parents to see the kids appearing to have a good time and so you know the levels of of manipulation that you can do with closed ended questions and, and yeah, the the, vol- the tonality that you use is is you know, surprisingly deep yeah um,
1: well what are i've heard you talk about the, the three phases of the sales questioning process what what are the three phases of the sales questioning process and how do we use them
0: sure so this is um context dependent it depends whether you're you're in field sales me medical devices if i've just walked in and met a surgeon that's completely different to uh, when I sell medical devices, my local hospital here is Bradford BRI, and I would just go in there on a Friday and just chill out with surgeons. I would just go straight to the, the surgeon's office and sit in there and whoever came back and forth, I would be asking questions and I'd be using, uh, again, inadvertently some of this with them. So, there's multi- so what I'm saying here, we don't have to have just three phases. Think of this as, a, as more of a funnel. So at the top, we need to elicit a conversation. So the the first stage is we need to separate ourselves from the pesky cold calling, cold emailing, cold door knocking salesperson who's going to ask close ended questions just to get a, a response. We don't want that. We want a real response from these individuals that we're dealing with, that we're selling to. And we need to, as soon as we can, the sooner we can elicit an appropriate emotional response, then we've got a conversation going because I don't really want to talk about what you had for lunch. You don't really want to talk about what you had for lunch. But if I can ask you a question, again, it has to be not cliche, but if I can ask you a question that elicits a response of, oh, the problems that we're having this year in our marketing team, in our sales team, whatever it is, is one, two, or three, then we've achieved, I guess, the first step of this funnel. From then, we're going to ask a mix of closed and open-ended questions to not just narrow the focus down because a lot of times, and it's not just buyers, it's everyone, right? You think you've got a problem and you think it's this, and you're pretty sure and acutely it is, but until you speak to a real expert on the subject, and you should be an expert if you're selling. I was an expert in selling endoscopic camera systems to surgeons, right? The surgeon might think that the problem is this screen is too small. What they might not realize is, this is a stupid example, but it'll make sense. What they might not realize is, We can sell them a monitor arm that will allow them to bring the screen towards them. They might not have to spend seven grand on a 50 inch screen that then has other issues because people are walking into it in the operating room and banging their head on it. They might just want to bring it close to themselves. They might need another monitor that's at a different angle. Uh, There's there's different examples here that we can go down the rabbit hole of. Well that's the second phase then. If we have the first phase is to get the conversation going, elicit a response, suss out What the buyer wants, what they think the problem is. The next stage is to suss out uh, what the real problem is. And this is, uh, you know, if you think of yourself as a coach, as someone who is is helping uncover the the foundations of the issue that you may see clear as day. But if you tell someone this, it's uh, it's not as it's not as effective in the sales scenario as allowing someone to find the problem for themselves and then come back to you with it. And people don't want to be told. So people want to feel smart. They want to feel like they've engineered the solution themselves. And then we move into the third step, which we can call, for want of a better word, the the closing phase. And at this point, we're now explicitly sharing, can we solve this problem? Here's how the problem is solved. And again, we're still asking questions as we go through this. And usually it culminates in what we call closing 2.0. Um, over at salesman.org or our training. And essentially, we get to the point where we've asked enough questions, we've elicited enough responses, everyone is happy, everyone's on board, we've not led anyone anywhere, people have led themselves there. And we can ask, ask the question, does it make sense to move forward with this? And that gets a yes or no response. If it gets a yes, great, you've won the deal, or you've booked the meeting, or you've, you've done whatever objective that you set out to do. If the buyer turns around and says no, then you just say, hey, well, because you've got enough rapport now to say this, because you've had enough of a conversation, you've built trust, you can turn around and say, hey, what would it make sense? Or how would it make sense to move forward with this? What do we need to do to move forward? And then the buyer, this is the magical thing, Steve, the buyer will coach you on what needs to happen next, all by asking a few questions. You've got into a conversation, you've added value because you've reverse engineered the real problem. And now you get to the point where the buyer is telling you what you need to do to get the deal done.
1: Yeah, that, that, that's a, a great little, uh, a great, a great way to look at it. You know, three phases. So uncover consensus and ask then ask the concrete questions Are the, the three phases, I guess. Am I following that? Right. Yeah. Makes sense. It makes sense. Uncover consensus and concrete questions. Um, where, where do traditional questions, like qualifying questions, fit into this um, into this into this uh, phased approach? What 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 are some? Because sometimes I think you run into unnecessary qualifying questions, and uh, that, that salespeople feel compelled to ask. And, whereas other qualifying questions are important. Um, but where do they fit into this, this, uh, this phased approach, or this, I guess, framework of looking at your sales questioning? And uh, what are some ones that are unnecessary? And, and what, are, what are some of the other ones that are, that are more necessary?
0: Sure. So again, this, this is massively uh, context dependent on the size of the sale, the lead that you've got, whether it's outbound, inbound. So if you have a lot of inbound opportunities, perhaps you've just released a white paper and it's gone absolutely nuts and you're, you're knocking on doors or you're ringing people to book meetings on the back of them downloading a the white paper. Well, you need to qualify real hard because 90% of those people. Didn't even read the right way, it was an opportunity they didn't want to miss out. And so they just clicked it. And so they're not qualified to do business with you at all. And again, I guess this comes down to then marketing qualified leads as opposed to sales qualified leads. And then there's a bunch of different acronyms bouncing around the startup space at the moment to try and segment this down even further as, as sales and marketing start to collide and, and become one unit within um, fast paced and then technology startups, especially. So answer to your question, the answer is it depends, right? If I'm walking into a hospital operating room and I don't know the surgical team, but they already use my equipment, then I'm going to ask far less qualifying questions than I would if I am somewhat sneaking into a hospital operating room to just pop my head in and see how everything's going and see if I can get a conversation going with a surgeon. Uh, Good qualifying questions are non-obvious in the fact that if you can Google it, you shouldn't ask the question. If you know an organization who just had a ton of venture funding and the flush with cash and the, the, the media darling, what, however you want to frame up this, uh, this example, then you don't need to drill down on budgets too much. Uh, if you're selling to Oracle, if you're selling to Salesforce, if you're selling to the, one of these giant organizations, there is money. They can find it if you're solving a problem that is uh, painful enough for them. So again, we uh, look at the kind of band model of of qualification, or there's there's fifty other different ones as well. I don't see the, the I don't mean, think there's massive value in going through each of them. Um, Steve, maybe it's another another episode. But the if you can Google it, Google it. If you can't, then you've got to ask. And you should not be asking qualifying questions until the buyer wants to speak with you. If you start the conversation by, hey, do you have budget for this? Hey, who's the right person to speak to for authority and and all the other steps of these different qualifying methods? You're sucking value from the conversation. You're not adding to it. If you're selling, for example, to surgeons, what I used to do was ring up the theater manager. The theatre manager would very likely be ex-nursing staff. They have a really good relationship with most all the time, but a lot of the time they have a good relationship with surgeons. They'd be the go-between on different projects for me. So before going meet with a surgeon, I do my qualification with the theatre manager. So when I go into the conversation with the person who actually is going to be my advocate within the account, who's going to do a lot of the hard work and the running around for me, I'm just dumping value and knowledge and expertise on them. I'm not sucking from them. Can you introduce me to this person? Can you do this? Can you do that? That of all, of course, can come further down the line, um, and that's my experience in in larger deal sizes in field sales. Now, the flip side of that, of course, if you're if you're cold calling, if you're dialing for dollars, if you're knocking on doors, then you've got to qualify quickly and uh, severely because every minute you spend with someone who isn't qualified at that point, then you're, you're going to be struggling. But I think a lot of those jobs are going to be disappearing over the next few years. If you, if you just randomly calling upon people, whether it's field sales or inside sales or whatever it is, uh, there's, uh, I think there's gonna be less, less opportunity for those roles moving forward. Absolutely. Well, what
1: are questions that aren't good, that salespeople should never ask a prospect are there, does, does anything fall into that category?
0: So I don't know if there's anything that you should never ask. If I've got a good enough relationship, I could ring you up, Steve, and we, know, we, do, we don't know each other that well, but we, you've had, been on my podcast, we'll chat for half an hour, an hour here on this. I could probably ask you most questions and you might cringe a little bit, but you'll answer them. Versus if you don't have a good relationship with an the individual, then there's lots of stuff you don't ask. You don't wanna make them feel bad by saying, hey, who who's the decision maker in this, uh, in this segment of the organization? Because if it's not the person you're speaking to, Immediately, then you—it you, sounds like you are going beyond them, that you're disempowering them, and it might be rightly so. You might be speaking completely to the wrong person, but there's a more tactile way of saying that. So I'll, 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 I'll say there's no question that is unaskable, but a lot of it comes down to your relationship and the trust that's been built in the conversation as well. Now, if you're asking stuff that is, is everyone agrees is cliche, like, do you have the budget for this? again, straight out of the the bat of the conversation, then people are just going to immediately say, well, you're just going to get people's backs up. I think a lot of this, Steve, and I was thinking about this in preparation for the show, uh, because your team reached out and said, we're going to talk about questions. A lot of this is common sense. And a lot of it is experience. And a lot of it is just doing this over and over and documenting what works and what doesn't. When you make a mistake, it's very easy to make a mistake, fall asleep. I know for me anyway, I'll make a mistake. I'll fall asleep next morning. I'll be, the, the slate is wiped clean. I'll totally forgotten about what I was screwing up the day before. So I like to document when things go well, when things go bad and treat it more like uh, you know, leverage the scientific method with some of this. If I keep asking the same question because my sales manager has told me to ask it and I keep getting a, a response of red faces because I'm embarrassing people or the conversation tends to end three minutes after, then I need to stop asking that question. So I've not explicitly answered your question there, Steve, but that's how I like to think of it as a framework of try it. If it doesn't work, stop doing it. Don't do the same stupid thing over and over just because Will on, on this podcast has told you to, or Steve has told you to, or your sales manager or your sales director, there's no best way to do any of this. The best thing to do is stalk whoever is the most successful salesperson in your company and ask the questions that they're asking.
1: And, uh, tell me what, what questions are the best ones for salespeople
0: to ask to uncover their prospects pain points? So I would, again, I'd use this funnel analogy and this funnel technique. I would ask open-ended questions of, you know, if I'm selling to somebody marketing, I would ask them, Hey, what are your objectives for the year? What are you trying to achieve? And then reverse engineer it from that. If you're dealing with an organization that is uh, selling say, say to sell the enterprise here. If to the enterprise, go on their website, suss out what their corporate goals are for the year, ask your uh, contact that you're dealing with, hey, is your marketing aligned with these goals? So that's somewhat closed-ended question, but that's just to get the conversation going right. The next is, well, what's stopping you from achieving them? And that's slightly cliche, so we can perhaps clean that up. Um, we could ask, uh, what are you doing to achieve those? And then when we get a positive response, because people won't necessarily talk negatively about themselves, they're going to say that we're doing this, this, and this. Say, well, what's the hurdle uh, between you and that goal itself? What's the reality you're living in right now? What's the reality that you want to be living in? And what's the thing in the middle? And the goal here clearly is if there's a good fit between you being able to leap them, leapfrog them from one reality to another via your product or service, then we start engineering the product or service. What well, Questions to get a response of, of pain, we want to sort out where they are right now, where they want to be, and then what 's stopping them in the middle, what that block is right there
1: makes perfect sense to me yeah i mean I, I feel like uh, half of sales is is uncovering what 's going on with people and understanding them and listening to their problems, and then knowing how to knowing your product and service well enough back and forth that you can then map, map your product or service onto what their, what their pain point is or onto what their challenge is so that then, then you can really uh, kind of show the
0: value of what, what you're doing. For sure, um, and, and let me just, sorry to interrupt you, let me just double down on that for a second because you're spot on. And the value that you bring as a salesperson in the modern B2B space, right, is, uh, and it works for B2C as well, but my focus is always on B2B, is that you're the expert? You're dealing with this product, service, day in, day out. If you're selling, say you're selling to a procurement team, it's software, whatever it is. They've got this problem. This might be the very first time they've ever had this problem. Then might be stressing, uh, depending on whether it's you know an inbound lead or you're an, an outbound lead. They might have done a load of research. They might have spoke to a bunch of people before you even get in the room to discuss it with them, with the surgeons I deal with. It might just be one acute case. One thing goes down in the middle of the operation. It makes everyone terrified because it was, uh, you, you surprised you and probably surprised from the audience. A lot of stuff in theaters is not battery backed up. The anesthetic machine is, I've got some, I've got some tales I could share with you, Steve, and me being in a room where everything goes kaput and it's my logo all over everything in the room that's turned off. Um, but one acute event like that, you've seen it 50 times. You don't panic. You, you've you got the expertise to suss out what the actual base issue is. And that's the value that you can add as a salesperson. That's why people want you in the room. This is why sales is great because you're adding that level of value. If you were going into a conversation, just trying to get your your pitch and just shove it down people's throat without helping them uncover what the real issue is the underlying issue then you're not helping anyone other than yourself and people like that quickly get found out and it's difficult to do business with these individuals long term absolutely yeah
1: well the the next part of the show is called sales in 60 seconds quick questions and quick answers um so first question how can sales people ask questions
0: without sounding scripted practice i I don't know how how long you want these answers to be, steve but (laughs) scripts are great and scripts are great if you can model someone who's having success but if you're reading physically from a script more than three or four times when you ask a question you're doing it wrong at some point if you care about this and you care about the people you're serving it's just gonna it's just gonna come natural so a lot of this is just practice
1: And what's a sales question salespeople should always ask?
0: I'll go back to what I said earlier on. At the end of every meeting, you should ask a closing 2.0 question of, does it make sense to move forward with this? On your initial meeting, it could be, does it make sense to move forward with the next meeting? Does it make sense to get these people in a room to discuss this further? Does it make sense to do a demo? At the end of it, does it make sense to get the contract signed? And again, the follow-up if they say no is, what would make sense to to move forward with this? Or how can we move forward with this? So that's a question that should be asked at every meeting, every call, almost every email. You should be closing the next step. Absolutely. And what's your top advice
1: for actively listening to prospects when they're answering questions?
0: So I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna humble brag here for a second. I've been told that I'm a good listener and you know, We've done nearly 700 episodes of the Salesman podcast now, so probably some of that is it comes down to it. And I make notes, and so I'm, I listen to the individual that I'm speaking to. I've got a pen and paper here in front of me for anyone who's, who's listening to this, as opposed to watching it. And I've made uh, many notes on, on in this conversation, but I like to add to listen by jotting down keywords. So you will have said, X, I'll just scribble down X. And then it allows me then to mentally take that out of my brain. And it's on paper and my brain goes, okay, if we're struggling and we need to come back to something, it's documented. I find that when I don't have the ability to, again, I'm not making extensive notes as I go through this, just odd words, then my brain tries to hang on to things because you know that it's going to be your turn to speak at some point. And so your brain's going, oh, well, you can say this, you can say this, you can say this. And if you think of your brain as a, a computer, I don't want to lose anyone here because I'm sure you and I, Steve, can nerd out on some computer analogies here and software analogies. But there's only so much memory in your brain box to re- record stuff. And so I find if I'm trying to, if I've got a good answer to a question that you have asked 20 seconds ago, and I'm trying to keep it in my brain so I can fire it back at you when you stop talking. I've just not listened to the rest of the, the the 20 seconds that's transpired since you making a point and, and me coming up with a, a question or a follow-up. So I just like to jot down a word or two as I'm going through the conversation that allows me to get the buffer of memory out of my brain onto the paper and my brain relaxes and I can actively listen uh, to the rest of the conversation.
1: Makes perfect sense. And if you only had three minutes for the prospect, so yeah, you know, kind of the the elevator scenario. What what would you say? What what are
0: the key things that you're trying to get across? I would want to show, and I, we can get into it in more detail if you like. But I'm, I'm trying to. <laughs> I'm not very good at these quick questions, Steve. Um, it's all right. Take, I, take your time. We're not in a hurry. I'm, I'm in a hurry. You, you ask for <laughs> quick questions. I will. I will supply what you've <laughs> planted, Steve. So I would. But we can, we can elaborate on it if you like. But as a I would want to show that I'm a professional, an expert in my space, that I'm not a pesky salesperson trying to get a deal done there and then. So I would want to show my expertise in some manner. I'd ask a, a smart question about a very specific topic that that individual is knowledgeable about. And again, not to try and show off, but to, again, elicit a more technical conversation than someone who has been in sales for two minutes could, could possibly give them. The next thing I'm trying to do is just book the meeting. I'm not trying to pitch them, I'm not trying to share anything with them. I'm not trying to take anything from them other than the opportunity to have another conversation in the not too distant future. I'm not trying to pitch my product. I'm not trying to get them a meeting on the back of, well, we can do this for you. It would be, hey, you're interested in this. I'm interested in this. I work for this company. We may help. We may not be able to help. Well, I feel like I can do a bit of free consulting for you and I can solve this thing that was come up in the, in the elevator from floor 71 to floor four as we get down there. All right. And what would you say is the
1: best sales advice that you've ever received?
0: So something that crops up, unfortunately, I don't know who said this to me. So I get to speak, like Self, you've been on the Salesman podcast, Steve. I get to speak to really interesting people on the show. And some of my heroes have had uh, UFC fighters on there. I've had Formula One drivers on there. I've had astronauts on there. Um, My background is in science. I've got a degree in chemistry. I'm I'm a public scientist. So, I've had all kinds of people from all different spaces. And unfortunately, I don't know. My, uh, my brain box and maybe my active listening failed me on this occasion because it's keeping my subconscious. So, I don't know who to accredit this to. But one of the best pieces of advice I've ever got, and I use this every day, is whenever I you know you have these moments you know, I can't be bothered doing that or I'll do that tomorrow or like I'm in the studio now I've got to tidy up the studio before I go home because it's, it's an absolute mess because we've just had loads of new cameras and stuff installed so you can't quite see it there but from, from every other angle there's, there's boxes and just crap everywhere I don't want to do it so what I ask myself is what would a champion do or what would a pro do and that question turns my negativity of, I don't want to do this right now, of whatever the subject is, and immediately turns it around of, well, a champion, if we're using a sports metaphor here, they do the extra thing. They go the extra mile, they'll put in the extra work because that's what wins the, the event, the race, the, the league, the game on the day. And if you want to narrow it down for salespeople specifically, what would a professional do? Professional, just get on with it and just do it and not moan, and they go home and feel great because they've done that extra little bit of work. So again, I can't accredit uh, <laughs> he told me that and he implanted it into my subconscious, Steve. But that was one of the best pieces of advice I've ever had because it gives me a good a solid hour extra of productivity every single day by just asking that question. What would a professional do or, or what, would a pro, uh, what would a champion do? Fantastic. Well, that's a great tip. Uh, As an
1: actionable takeaway, what should the field salespeople that are listening today do as a first step towards getting started on their journey of asking more powerful sales questions?
0: I would say you should do what I alluded to earlier. If you ask a question and it gets an incredible response, write it down because again, if you're like me, once you sleep, your brain, it just gets wiped. And you forget everything that you had that you did the day prior. Like same if you ask a really terrible question, if you ask a stinker and you can see the person going, "Ah, oh, damn it, Will, what, it was going so well. Why did you say that? Then again, document it. It could be just in your phone. If you've got an iPhone, just open the notes app and just throw it in there. It could be in a journal, whatever it is. Document these questions. And then it also allows you to build your own little bit of a framework of what you want to ask, when you want to ask it. And again, you can go model people who are successful in your own organization. There's sorts of tools now for listening into calls or if you're in field sales, if you're going out with people in the field and you're getting either trained by them or some mentoring by them, great. Jot down what they ask when the buyer and you see the buyer's face light up and they really want to share something or they get their own they've been consulted on and they get their own uh, kind of light bulb moment. That's what you want to create with your, and especially when you're in field sales, if you're sat there with an individual, if they're taking the time out of their calendar, out of their day to sit with you, you've got to deliver these light bulb moments. Otherwise it's it's a waste of time and energy for everyone involved. So just document what works and document what doesn't. And eventually, (laughs) I don't know how long your career is going to be, but eventually at some point, if we can all live long enough, we'll become incredible asking questions.
1: Uh, It's it's a great way to learn a lot of things. Is to is to be self introspective and to to write things down and circle back to the things you've learned. I think that's that's great advice. Well, I'm going to attempt to give a a quick summary of of the the key points that we've touched on today. Um, First of all, great sales questions give you the opportunity to start a conversation. Asking closed-ended questions and using pushy tactics as a salesperson can lead to a loss of trust. On the other hand, asking open-ended questions can help you start a conversation and get a true or a real response. Um, for example, how are you is, a, is an open-ended question. And, um, when you ask closed-ended question, questions, the inflection in your voice really matters right like the you could say are you good today or you could say are you good today like you can you can really change the way uh the you you can change the meaning a lot and and and, uh you want to use closed-ended questions sometimes they're not completely forbidden um you want to use them towards more towards the end of the sales conversation as as you start to narrow things down so the the Funnel that Will talked about uh, is the three phases of sales questioning. So first, you, you start with a conversation that elicits a real emotional response. Then second, you, you add a mixed, mix of closed and open-ended questions that help you understand what the buyer really wants, and then you work to, work to uncover what the problem really is. Um, no, the third, the last phase, um, you you want to work towards the close and establish if if you can help them with their problem with your product or service. So, the the question that he kept pointing to was, you ask, does it make sense to move forward with this, or how can we move forward with this? Good qualifying questions are not always obvious. Um, or right. if if it if it is obvious and you could have just googled it, then it's not a good qualifying question. I guess is another way of saying that. Um, that. You you don't want to ask qualifying questions until you've earned the buyer's trust and they want to speak with you. You want to you want to pour pour value into the relationship before you start um, taking taking uh, withdrawals. If you don't have a good relationship with your prospect wait to ask certain questions like who, who's the decision maker in your in your division because that that can that can make them feel like you're just using them transactionally and going around them finally to uncover a prospect's pain point you can ask things like what are your objections or what are your objectives for the year what are you doing to achieve these goals what are the hurdles to achieving these goals um, this has been just fantastic, Will. Where can our listeners read more about your work and how can they reach out to you?
0: Head over to salesman.org. Everything on there is everything that we do is on there. There's multiple podcasts, video series, free training, uh, more sophisticated paid training. Uh, there's enough for everyone. Whether you're in, as long as it's we, we focus on B2B sales as opposed to B2C, Uh, but we have artists, entrepreneurs, all kinds of people uh, following us and and taking note of what we do because it's applicable. Sales is everything, right? Sales is just, if you're good at sales, you're just good at communicating. And if you want something, you've got to ask for it, right? So salesman.org and everything you uh, could ever want on sales is is basically over there.
1: Well, outstanding.
0: Well, this has been a great episode
1: of the Outside Sales Talk. If you work in field sales, you'll love Badger Maps, the number one route planner that helps you sell 20% more and drive 20% less, where you can get a free trial at badgermapping.com today. If anyone can think of any other sales reps that would benefit from learning the skills that Will's talked about today, share the love and forward this episode on to them. Take care until next time, everybody.